0: All right, guys. So glad to see everybody here. Last book study of the year. Um, And it's been a good one. I've really enjoyed the book and I'm excited that everybody's here to, uh, you know, spend some time with us today dialoguing. I think that, um, you know, for me, these are the highlights of my every two weeks and, you know, seeing your guys' faces and sharing and, you know. Relieving some stress is always a nice time. So I hope that you guys feel the same way. Um, and I know Becky and I have been talking in the whole EC Open Chat team. And we're trying to put something together potentially for for January or, or early 2021 uh, with a new book study. So keep that in mind. Um, you know, Two new books. The hope I, is
1: we can do two new books. We can do a repeat of... Courageous Adventures.
2: Wow. Upside down. There really
0: Upside down.
1: Uh, for first everyone,
2: backwards, then upside down.
0: <laughs> I want to make sure you all know. <laughs> this is 2020, right? Yeah. And
1: then, um, so for everyone who couldn't join this first go around, we had a lot of people say that they wanted to do that again, but then for everyone who did read Courageous Adventures and they don't want to read it again, we're looking at another book. Um, yeah. So we'll have two different book studies going at the same time. Yeah. Hopefully. Right.
0: So if you're watching this after the fact on the recording um, and you're interested in, uh, you know, joining o- either of those, you know, keep your eyes out for our Twitter uh, or our Google chat and we will give you guys the insight. So looks like people here are pretty excited about a new <laughs> book study. I'm excited about that. So um, we're going to just jump in. I'm going to go ahead and share my screen. Um, I did want to. Also mentioned that uh, Georgina does say hello um, and that she misses you guys but she wanted me to relay a message to y'all saying sorry she couldn't be here today um, but she does love all of you and really has appreciated how much um, she has grown because of the conversations that have existed in this space so she wanted me to relay her thanks and gratitude and um, you know she'll she'll be popping around we'll see her around so Um, Okay, so we're going to jump right in. We had three chapters this time, uh, and they were all kind of awesome. Um, I'd love to hear your guys' just before we get to the questions. I'd love for anybody to unmute and maybe relay some insight. I absolutely love these chapters. What did did you guys think of them?
3: I think what struck me the most uh, was just like the the very very final thoughts of how to go beyond how to continually to challenge yourself because there are times when we get to that point where it feels like oh we have gotten to you know our max our limit but just that reminder that no there's always new ways we can challenge ourselves and so i was like that's kind of the final takeaway that really stuck with me because i know Right now, we're all probably facing challenges. We don't wanna stretch our wings more and try new things right now because we might we might be just trying to, you know, keep our heads above water. But I think that's an important idea to keep in mind.
0: Absolutely. Yeah, Yeah, no, I love that. I love that so much. I think you're right. I think that that's been one of the things, right? Like we, we stress, this has been a stressful year for a lot of educators, a lot of coaches, um, you know, and it's hard sometimes as a coach to go to a teacher and say, Hey, how about we, you know, push the limits here when they're already, you know, extended. And so supporting them on that, and really seeing it, you know, as we come to the end of this journey, seeing her like Magira like lay that out, you know, kind of gave me a little bit of like, okay, we can do this. You know, we can continue.
2: I think it's important. Yeah, Mm -hmm. I'll I'll kind of add to that. It's really important too to also find that balance of you know pushing yourself to a new limit, but also recognizing that it's okay to be in a in, a, in a just kind of a steady spot to just appreciate that things are better than they could be and just let them be better for a while. I think sometimes because we have a lot of pressure to feel like we don't want to lose ground because of a lot of the challenges around us. And I think also too, because, you know, we have some really motivated people in this room. If you weren't motivated, you wouldn't be here right now. And it's very easy to feel like we have to continue forward to you know, and I and I don't want to say like almost like, like an ego thing, but like we want to show that we can and we're better than those who are just going to sit back, right? But it's also very much a, a sign of quality leadership to be able to just have the confidence in a lot of the teachers we support to just step back and allow them to make some discoveries and follow up with them on how they feel they're able to push further because I think a lot of, of right now, you know, this is – For, for, for America, this for American teachers, this is a very welcome day right now. It's veterans day and it's a day to show, you know, appreciation for those who have, you know, fought for so much of what we have. However, it's also the first day off that we have had since labor day. It's the longest stretch of the school year without a break from labor day to veterans day. And I know that we also have a lot coming up as far as holidays. A lot of school districts do the entire week off for Thanksgiving and then you have an extended winter break. So, I mean, just for reflection, our school district, we have seven days of school and then a week off. Then we have three weeks of school and then a week and then like two weeks off. Um, this is going to be a time to recharge, even though instruction continues and, um, you know, learning challenges, it is also the moment to come up and breathe. And I think that this is a good time as coaches for us to be able to step back and allow everybody around to just enjoy and appreciate the relationships we've built, the successes that we've had, and very slowly dip our toes into new ideas and extending our understanding. You know, one thing I've come to understand is that there are really only three months where teachers are most open to grow and try new things that yeah. are fundamental shifts in instruction, August, September, and January, the months where they feel the most recharged. Right. So as, you know, as much as we love to be able to kind of push our limits and our boundaries and see what's next, it's okay to enjoy the view from the top of the mountain. And take a look back. And I think more than anything else, beyond extension, this is a time for reflection. And use that time. um, However you can, not just reflect on, on your own practices, but reflect with others. This is when relationships get built and become strengthened is because you're not pushing further beyond what people's capacities are. Or you're not even trying to find what that limit is. You're just able to find a place and a moment and a time to say, look how far we've come man. I'm really proud of you.
0: Yeah, no. And I absolutely agree. I think that's a really good word. And I think that's good for a lot of us to hear that, you know, that it is okay. And that this is a moment for reflection for all of you that don't have today off of school. Um, you know, we feel for you. I hope you guys get that reprieve. You'll soon. get yours. Um, it's coming.
2: <laughs> yeah. Don't worry.
0: Um, you're going to have one of those days. Yeah. Where I'm
2: like, how did you pull that off? Not fair. I'm leaving Seriously. this country.
0: I think about that all the time when the UK uh, people talk about their midterm breaks. I'm like, Oh, I wish I had that too. But um, thank you, Devin, for that. I think it's a really good reminder. Absolutely. So uh, any other thoughts before we dive into to question uh, number one, last minute shares?
4: I just was going to agree with Devin um, that I really feel like the timing um, and reflecting, is so important to take the time to do that. Um, I find that this time is some of the things that we might've started in August and September, people kind of got lost along the way and that this is a great time to go back and kind of do the catch up, do the follow up, do that third date that they, you know, that um, Jenny was talking about a lot of times that um, some people are, very willing at this point um feels like after that first nine weeks and that first grading period is over and especially during this COVID time with so much uncertainty um, the idea that 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 they get a decision whether to make to use technology as part of their lesson is gone now it's not a decision anymore you know they're being forced into having to do some things and some people are more willing to and than others. So I think that this is a great time to go back and try to try to catch them up or, or just have those relationships where they can come to you and go, you know, Sharon, I was thinking about what you said to me in August. Can we work on
0: that now? You know? So that's what I'm trying to do this, this term. I love that. I love that so much. Yeah, no, absolutely. I think that's great. Any last shares before we move on? All right. So chapter 13, um, you know, we, it's all about evaluating our practice. And so she talks a lot in the beginning about the SAMR model, the TIM frameworks, um, you know, really using those two um, as a quick calibration tool when we're thinking about ed tech and and planning and helping our coaches along there. Um, And then she kind of moves out into this idea where it kind of has this you know, vein that is interwoven in between 13, 14, and 15, all about sharing her your adventure um, and that idea. And so that brings us to our question number one. Um, so it says as a coach, we often encourage our educators to openly share, but many of us aren't willing or don't have the time to mimic the same practice. What is the value in blogging your journey? What do you think most holds you back from sharing your insight with the world? How can we use blogging to become better coaches, educators, and individuals? So, would anybody like to share some insight to start us off? Uh,
3: full disclosure, this is my first time looking at these questions because time is just, uh, you know, it's a funny thing no in the age of COVID. Um, That's okay. You know what I think has held me black from like blogging per se, where like I update on like the daily activities more publicly has been like, my concern about uh, protecting student privacy and because of the culture of what is acceptable with sharing within different school districts. I've, depending on one's point of view, I've had um, uh, the privilege of working in multiple districts and they all have different cultures about how much you can share. So in terms of the way I've shared, the way I've done so most comfortably has been through Twitter. It's more accessible. It's a little easier to like kind of share out the day-to-day experiences versus if I had to sit down and write like a blog post that was like even the equivalent of one page, I'd be like, ah, man, I can't right now. My energy levels. But I could send out a tweet like, oh, I did this today. And it was really cool. And um, that's more acceptable for some reason in my mind versus like the sit down process of blogging now. So I don't know, like, um, how do you, how does the group feel about that? About like, is Twitter comparable to long form blogging or do you think there's a value in that?
2: I think that it's absolutely acceptable because it reaches people more where they are. And, and I'll say this about blogging right now, I almost feel like we're getting to a saturation point with blogs, kind of like we are with podcasts where everybody has one and none of them stand out. Um, I actually ha- have a really unique perspective from blogging because, uh, a, a blog I used to run, um, uh, actually did get some, some meaningful traction about 10 years ago. It was actually kind of the gateway into education. It, I, I credit it with getting my first job. It was called a year without football. Um, it was around a time where I was transitioning from sports broadcasting into teaching, and my college, Northeastern University, where I had called a lot of the sports as an undergrad, had dropped football as a Division One sport, and it was a very controversial move. And people were like, "How could you be a college and drop football? This is America's favorite sport, it's the biggest sport." And it was like it was really easy. We only got like two thousand people to show up at our games. It was super expensive. We got outdrawn by the local high school, so it was an easy call. And if we could spend more money, but anyway. it caught my attention because like, there's so many other things happening in sports, but everybody just focused on football, football, football. So I wanted to see what it was like. Anyway, it picked up because it had a unique wrinkle to it. Um, it actually paired nicely because the same time I was going through this year, it was also when we found out we were going to be parents for the first time. So it was almost like this transition from sports to education from sing, you know, from just being on your own to fatherhood, but it was defined. I was not going to have this be an intermittent permanent forever thing. It was one year and that allowed me to commit more to it because I knew that there was a purpose, a beginning and a defined end. It was going to go hall of fame game to NFL draft. And so, because it had a unique lens and it had defined end points I felt like I was more able to commit to it because it wasn't just going to be this for everything that I gave up on. And so if blogging or, you know, running like a, a perspective podcast or vlog is appealing, I would say that I would say, be very precise about what it is that you're writing about. What is the wrinkle? What is unique about your experience, your lens? that is going to appeal to a lot of people as far as how they're approaching things. So I would just put that out there that um, it's easy to manage time if you know that there is a point where you get to say, all right, it's done.
5: I I was thinking, um, I think it's interesting, this idea of like putting, putting time on things or looking at what is the, what perhaps might be, um, the best place to reach a particular audience. I don't know that that is my goal at when and if I blog, I think, um, I think that if I am talking to a person and I'm trying to model what I'm asking, it really is kind of cathartic sometimes to put words to paper, to get ideas out. I, the way that I moved into starting to blog and it's been a while since I've um done a a post and um but it i had to think about it like if i wanted to put something in a long email to staff perhaps it's better instead of an email let me think about it like an email that i can write very quickly but instead i'm going to put it to a space where it can easily be returned to and it can be logged and people can look things up so um, I was never someone that was coming into things, creating stuff for the purpose of other people reading it. It was really about me tracking what I was doing and modeling that I was tracking what I was doing and getting out my ideas. That then led to me putting myself a little bit more out there um, because I, I think it's it's tough to have a personal blog. I think there are pieces in the book that talk about some of that, right? The idea of collaboration around things. that 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 idea of doing it on your own i mean it's the same as me just like putting anything else out there into the ether so i um i started putting my applying to when you do stuff for bigger things um a year ago i i had a, a colleague across the hall say you know what you you should put in to write for edutopia. um he had a friend at the time that was doing it and so i followed their protocols i put stuff in my idea got accepted and it was the first real time that I had an editor look at something, proof what I was looking at. I got feedback on it. It was a very different process than a personal blog post. Um, that then led to more writing over the last year. And, um, and i would say what i often find for for blogging for writing of any kind is that you need thought partners you need people giving you feedback you need you need an interaction or again it feels like i've just put something out there that is for me that's more like a journal so i i feel like it is a practice like no other one so perhaps when i think about doing it maybe in my school or in my district i don't advertise it there to be honest with you like i i love where i work but I often worry about feeling like, oh, I don't want to look like I'm tooting my own horn or like, you know, there goes Stephanie again. She's trying things in her classroom, that tech person. So I want people to feel safe to try without this idea that there is a comparison to me or what I'm doing and instead feel inspired by other people's practices. So my workaround for that is that I talk about trying things that I've asked teachers to try and then I highlight other people who are trying them in their classrooms and I try to bring in other voices in in particular things. I don't know. I think it's a fine line, but I would like to be able to bring in more people. Um, I have thought about the relationship between between voice and writing and trying to do things where you record people and write. Everyone has a different way in. So some people feel like they can listen to a thing. Some people feel like they can look at a thing or they can look at a really small tweet. I have found that my in-between for all of these is more of an infographic. So thinking about how to utilize different forms of media. So if I have most of what my content in something graphic um, or in a sketch note or some other way to put it out there, and then for those who want a longer, deeper write, they can read, or some people who wanna listen, there's op- options. I just feel like it, not everything's gonna be appealing to everyone and I need ways in to connect people.
2: In in to add to that idea, is the th- uh, great communication theorist, Marshall McLuhan. Um, and this idea originated in the sixties and it's probably the, the most significant line that he's remembered for the medium is the message just as important as what you say is the means in which you communicate it to your audience. And you know, like it's, for example, like if that request for you, like as a coach, like, okay, you get called in and you have to substitute for a class. Cause the, the subbing coming in and the teacher called in with like 10 minutes before school starts and you're going in there. Do you want that as a text message? Do you want that as a phone call? Do you want that as an email? Because I could tell you from a personal perspective, I'd much rather it be a phone call so that I can get more detail and I know, okay, this is what we have to do. It's more clear. I'm losing less time back and forth. I know I've got to get it on there. When we are sharing these ideas, as important as the ideas are that we want to share is knowing who we want to support is going to receive them in a meaningful context. And it's not always a blog post. I think understanding that, you know, we have this network beyond our network is uh, a valuable resource. I've always felt that it's okay to self-promote and put yourself out there as somebody who has great ideas because it may rankle some people the wrong way. But it also connects to a lot of other educators who know then that when you do great things, you get noticed and it's it's very visible. And I know that there's a population in education who does not want to be seen that are perfectly fine, you know, having everything shut down and, and, and self-contained. But at, at the same time, there's another generation of educators coming through it. And that visibility and that networking is how they interact. And, it you know, it, it's fine. And so I think that the connection between podcasting and blogging and writing, Stephanie, that you mentioned, one of the things I notice about, like, a lot of podcast culture is that they very much support each other. Like if I have a podcast and I invite these three other people to come on my show, well, guess what? Now I'm going to go on to their shows as well. And so everybody always has a special guest because they're always inviting each other. And when it comes to writing, um, and you know, blog posting and, and, and educators, you know, tweeting and retweeting, that's really what it is. It's demonstrating those connections so that you are able to bring more in to share with the people that you support more directly, and I think that that's a part of leadership is being visible, is sharing these ideas and, and allowing others to come into that circle so that you can bring anything from the outside. Because, frankly, we are that extension. Like, we are those connections to the broader field of education because teaching is such an insular profession, unfortunately. And, and very rarely, even though we have all these means to do so, do teachers really seek to expand beyond their immediate kind of social networks as far as uh, other educators. And and so it's important, I think, for us to be visible because it's going to encourage others to extend out as well. If we can do it, really anybody else could.
0: Yeah, really good points. And I, you know, from as someone who, you know, isn't super like uh, out there quite yet, like still working on, you know, who I am as a coach and an educator and you know, navigating this journey and learning from others. Um, blogging for me at this point in time is is more so that opportunity, I think, to reflect on my own, like, understanding and learning. Um, and so I think there are various levels of blogging and podcasting and really creating. Um, but for me, I know, like, I, I you know, she mentions that, like, on 147, that if she was going to spend so much time researching and, like, iterating, then there should be a moment. To, to stop and reflect on that. Um, and I really feel like that is valuable. And a lot of, you know, the responses here on this on this question here, um, you know, from Francis and Sharon, et cetera, um, even Jared, like this idea that it, it is therapeutic, it is cathartic. It is an opportunity for us, us to open the door, um, you know, to celebrate. And so Sharon, I'm actually gonna ask you, you mentioned in the chat, I also like it as a place for teachers to be highlighted. Um, would you like to elaborate a little bit on like how you have used it that way and like what has the reception been?
4: Let me find my mic here. Um, <laughs> okay. I, you know, I think it's really important that um, if we can share and celebrate their um, their successes, and I'll, a lot of times my one of my old bosses would always want us every every month we had to kind of glean good news and and celebrations. And so it was a great way of, I would be writing that up for her and I could go ahead and just put it out there. Um, we don't all, I didn't always put it on a blog, but I would put it in different newsletters and different ways that we could share. And a lot of times, um we would find out that that would help other people, um, maybe in the same grade level, maybe in another school um, school, but in the same grade, that, hey, that's a great idea. Let's see where we can go from there. Um, what I found was a lot of teachers were like, well, this isn't anything special, you know, I'm just do I'm just teaching. I'm just doing what I need to do. And I'm like, but you don't understand it is special in what you're doing. Um, you're being very reflective and you're taking care of, of your students' needs. And, and we need to celebrate that. And so that's the kind of stuff that, um, I would try to do. Um, I think in my little write up, I was, you know, I really struggle with words. I mean, um, I'm kind of more of a math, math brain, sciencey brain problem solver than a wordsmith. And so, um, I would get started and I mean, I'd really work hard on it. And by the time I got something written, it might have been a whole week later and it wasn't relevant to the time or, you know, so the time that I would spend on trying to be super reflective or, or inspirational or anything just wasn't working for me. And so one of my other tech coordinators at another school, um, she just started posting anything that she would put out there as an email. She would just post it to her blog. And so it was a place for her teachers to come and get the information so they didn't have to search for the email or that. And then I found that it really was, a great way for me to go back and reflect what I've been doing. So that's kind of where I've settled with it. I love some of these ideas that um, folks are um, talking about. I do think we all need a place to reflect. Um, I have a 16 year old and when COVID first started, I'm like, you need to keep a journal because this is the time of your life. You're going to go look back and go, gosh, what did I do during COVID? You know, what was I feeling? What was I going through? And I've really started thinking that at this point, I kind of feel like, You know, you can go back and reflect, hey, how did we handle this first six months with it? You know, um, where was where were we feeling? We've been in emergency mode for a long period. Now it looks like, hey, this is just going to be reality for a while. So, you know, how can we make this reality the best we can? And, And writing can help do that. I just I wish I was more consistent about it.
2: But I think you bring up an interesting point is that you found a way that you were comfortable with expressing it because you tried writing it out and it wasn't like necessarily something you felt comfortable with that, you know, from that math science perspective. Um, I always tell students when we start doing writing and we want to work on writing skills, we always talk about writing to, you know, our best writing comes from a, a comfortable topic, right? Like if you ask me to lay out a five paragraph essay on the uh, navigated back and forth, um, uh, perspectives of nuclear quantum theory. Forget it. It's going to be trash. Uh, I wouldn't want you to read that. It's going to be laughable. But if you give me a topic that I've lived and experienced firsthand, I'm going to be able to write chapters. If it's in a method that I'm comfortable. with, When I talk to students about writing, I tell them that you don't have to be an expert, but you have to have an idea. However, if you want to write like an expert, write about yourself because kids, you are the world's foremost expert on you you've been there since day one every moment asleep and awake nobody else understands what's going on in your mind because they didn't live it you have the opportunity to write better about you than literally anybody else on the planet and when it comes to our perspective nobody else is going to be able to write that better than you so think about how you're best able to express the story of you and what you see. And you're going to be able to bring that in a way that nobody else can. So find that method. Absolutely. And if it's a blog or if it's a podcast or if it's a video that you can put out, if it's a tweet, if it's that little section in the school newsletter that your principal made you contribute to because they need filler and they need to satisfy an area administrator or a superintendent, whatever. If it's what you do well, live there. Because that's your space. It's your voice. And don't try to make it sound like anybody else's. One of the best things I got feedback for um, during my time this past week that surprised a lot of people was when I got more comfortable and I started picking up a little bit my Staten Island accent again. Because that's something I lost a long time ago because I felt like I had to conform into this kind of clarity. I felt like it was going to set me back a little bit as far as being different from everybody else in my immediate community. But because I was so comfortable in that setting, I dropped any type of pretense, and and I was who I was. And I was always worried about how that would be received, and it was um, really comforting to see that. So whatever your voice is, whatever your expertise is, whatever your strong point is, that's how you start. That's how you deliver it, and that's how you make yourself more visible so that other people can see what you bring to the table and how it can benefit them
0: absolutely and there's been some great uh insight in the chat as well um you know ideas about you know the best stuff kind of mentioned the best ones are the ones that just flow out of her um sit with like you know she has so many that she just sits there with the first paragraph uh and you know waits for those aha writings but i think sometimes you know and jenny mentioned just get it out and then you can go back and refine i think we are so critical of ourselves and the you know the the statements that we make because we don't think they're perfect but you know just like our kids we got to help them process right as and it's the same is true for ourselves and for our educators also mentioned uh, I don't want to just gloss over before we move on but Jared uh, mentioned that he has a teacher who's he's encouraging to share what he's doing in the classroom but still apprehensive about sharing Jared would you uh, just share with us a little bit about like how you are helping that teacher along maybe encouraging them in that
6: um yeah sure so he's he's um been using pear deck a lot and so he he's been um doing some great things with it and so i've been trying to encourage him to, to share out his story because his biggest hang up is why aren't more teachers using this in in our building and i said that's a question i keep asking too and keep trying to encourage but um everybody's kind of in their own little bubbles here so you know so i was trying to encourage him just to you know maybe give a shout out through email hey try this or you know things like that and, and we're sharing a faculty meeting and things like where he's just not comfortable yet speaking um to the whole group so i told him i said well do you mind if i come in take some pictures we'll share them out on twitter we'll tag the school in it and 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 so he was good with that and then um I'm trying to encourage him in the next world language department meeting to try to encourage um, encourage him to, to speak out a little bit more on how he's using it and try to see if we can get get more teachers on board because he's like I'll never use paper again <laughs> which is you know a great ringing endorsement uh, for the for the tool because he's found something that he loves it's it's working um, it frees him up so it's great showing, he's being able to provide feedback directly to the kids you know it's everything that that tool was designed to do and and so it's just Great to see him excited about it and just trying to get him to, to share more of his story because, you know, I can preach all day about using something, um, but, you know, sometimes it falls flat, and I know having his voice in it would be a big, big help. And, you know, talking about, you know, writing and things like that, I've tried different formats. I've tried blogging. I've tried email blasts. I've tried this, that, or the other, and I just, I feel like, I don't know, maybe you guys can help me with this. Some a better method to kind of get a message out there to teachers because teachers, at least in my building, feel a little overwhelmed with emails. Um, they're a little bit too busy to to check social media posts. You know, Twitter's Twitter's a great one, and I try to encourage teachers who aren't comfortable writing blogs to just tweet out short little blurbs, fit pictures, successes, things like that. But um, kind of the world we live in and just how overwhelmed they are, I feel like messages are kind of falling flat, and faculty meetings are harder and harder because they're more on Zoom than they are in person. So um, so just finding that to be a challenge right now.
2: I've seen Flipgrid being utilized more uh, at the professional um, development level for educators because it's digestible, and it gives everybody a chance to see each other, and it allows administrators to provide um, meaningful feedback in, in, a fairly, um, efficient manner, um, with a reasonable time frame. So that's one. Um, I mean, I guess the question we would ask is, you know, f- yeah, email can be very overwhelming, but you know, what have you identified is the most receptive means of communication that your teachers respond to. And, you know, frankly, that's going to be very fragmented because demographically people just outside of just education, people prefer different forms of you got, you're going to have teachers that respond better to text, that respond better to emails. You're going to have teachers that would rather just hear a phone call, just a connection, a one-on-one. Um, that might be something to kind of Rolodex or keep a track of, of separately. So that when you do reach out, it's not something that simply you do just to document that you tried to help, but you know, that's what salespeople do. They, they, keep track of those little things as far as like how people are best interacted with and and so if you have a staff that you can manage start to kind of ask around about that that might be a good survey question what is your most preferred means of interaction and communication and you're going to be surprised at what you see but you're going to have that information on a
6: personal level
0: absolutely really really good stuff go ahead jared
6: no, so that's a good idea. Thank you, Devin. Appreciate that. Number
2: one thing I learned in working in marketing and media was, you know, reach people where they are. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely.
0: All right. So we're just, for time's sake, going to continue on. Um, really good stuff. Chapter thirteen is awesome, and so is chapter fourteen and fifteen. Um, some really great ideas in the chat. Uh, so if you guys will check those out as well. Um, so chapter fourteen is all about uh, staying inspired and finding support. Kind of goes back to you know, our first conversation when we started off this idea of, you know, being reflective and really being there as a support system um, for our coaches, for our educators uh, across the board, you know, not only our educators, but also our coach colleagues. So question number two, um, you know, I, I liked her use of, of language here. She mentioned uh, Ellen Porter once said, all great adventures have moments that are really crap. And I felt like that was like, so real and raw. Um, and it's really, she kind of mentioned that it's you need to find a way to keep going through that crap like it's not going to not be there so we have to kind of push through Um, so the question uh, was this coaching journey isn't always going to be about one that is full of positive moments I mean we all can attest to that when you find yourself faced with challenging experiences from where do you draw your inspiration Uh, and what are some tips you can share to help other coaches keep the course despite the difficulties would anybody like to start us off
1: I'll jump in here. Uh, I think this kind of leads into the next one too. But for me, it's all about uh, building up that PLN. And so for the past few years, my PLN was just the other coaches within my district. And I actually found like, I wasn't, I was growing, I can't say I wasn't growing, but I wasn't growing very much because we weren't getting any outside ideas. And so this year, each challenge that I ran ran into while coaching, like I know I have people to reach out to. And before I try on new ideas, I I mean, Shannon, you've seen many of my (laughs) random ideas, but I ask like, okay, well, what do you think of this? How would this help? Because we do get stuck. I had one teacher who was just, her challenge went from one thing to the next thing, to the next thing, to like everything was her challenge. And then when it really came down to it, it was, no, we actually just need to pick the essential standard, standards to focus on an ELA and we can start driving instruction that way. Like it, it, we went from so broad, everything in the book to finally being able to narrow it down. But when it was so broad, I honestly felt like I was not helping her. And like she was going to end the journey and just be like, thank you for wasting my time. Um, but now she, when, I mean, we had to cancel one of our meetings this week and she was like, so do I get two meetings with you next week then? Like, well, sure. But it it was nice because I'm like, okay, at least that validates the fact that she really does enjoy this, but it all comes from having a connection with people that I can reach out to when I run into issues. And so I know the open chat has helped me with that.
0: Absolutely. Tiffany put in the chat, we have the moral and ethical imperative to create entry and access points for all students, and that requires being comfortable comfortable in discomfort. Out of chaos can come the greatest ideas and opportunities, and I think that that, you know, is so profound, um, and I don't know if, Tiffany, you're in a place where you can elaborate a little bit on that, but we'd love for you to maybe give some perspective on that. I know that you're writing in the chat, so I'm assuming maybe maybe you don't have the capacity to share out loud.
2: While she's finishing that, if she's responding in the chat, I'll kind of fill some of the space here. Um, I did a blog post about how being honest about your own struggles is going to help others buy into their own. So, you know, I- I'll tell a story um, and I'll kind of read from what I have here. I just brought it up. As a young sports fan growing up in Staten Island, I fell asleep each night to the sounds of the games on the radio. I was fascinated by the stage provided by all parties. And as someone who excelled in school and constantly sought challenges, I envisioned a dream as a broadcaster. I worked hard to convince my parents to put me in the best schools they could, leading to an acceptance to Northeastern University, where I got to live out my passion through a degree in communication studies and involvement in the sports department at the studio radio station. And I was able to dive right into the world of pro sports at this time as a producer for the top billing sports talk station in the country, where I worked to cover some of the most significant American sports moment of the early 21st century. And I parlayed this experience into a job in California as a pro hockey announcer with the Bakersfield Condors. I lived my dream. And through teaching, I can convey that buying into education can still turn ambition into reality. What a garbage story that is, ladies and gentlemen. Like, really, like, that's just, like, so um, self-inflating. And and it, it really leaves out so much of what... I had to go through to get to that point. I didn't involve a single point of failure. We're afraid to share that because we feel like it diminishes our own narrative. I left out so much about my struggles with depression and anxiety about a lot of the uh, home challenges I faced growing up in Staten Island in dealing with um you know, a lot of domestic abuse issues that I had to witness. Um, I left out a lot of the classes that I failed. The fact that I just basically scraped in due to a technicality, uh, the fact that I was basically let go after my first year in my dream job without those failures, those struggles, those challenges, those stories of triumph and achievement and accomplishments are just self-inflating. So it's really important to make sure that we are able to highlight the struggles. In fact, there's a lot of great research. Um, I was at NCTM um, back in 2017, and one of the keynotes was a study from Columbia University where when you give science students stories about great scientists and their failures and their struggles, those students are more likely to persevere and um, work through their own struggles, and it leads to higher academic achievements. The failures, the struggles are the most important part. And if you leave them out and only, only just highlight on the successes and the, the, the things that worked great, you leave out the things that failed. Um, all you're doing is creating a self-mythology. And it's just an echo chamber of this communication that ability is inherent.
0: Yeah. Thank you so much for that. Uh, Tiffany, You want, would you like to elaborate for us? It's such a great I point will. you
7: made. I, I definitely will. But first, I want to just piggyback off of David. And to, to the point, I too love the broadcast voice. But um, I'm the parent of two dyslexic children. And one of the things I realized very early on that was going to be critical to their success was helping them to understand that while different, They were not less. And I did that by showing them all of the great people who had dyslexia and how they accomplished it by using their strengths. So to that point, uh, I was working at the Department of Education when the book Failure is Not an Option was released. And I thought to myself, what a joke. That this is not only is it an option, it is a reality, and it is not about whether or not we're going to fail, it's about how we get up and move forward from the failures. So, David, thank you for sharing that. Just an amazing point. And to, to piggyback on what I posted, you know, I most of us who do what we do to David's David's earlier point about those of us who show up here are passionate, we're committed, we're dedicated. We believe that education is not just a job, it is something that we were called to do. Um, You know, I can't remember who said or who made the quote that those who can teach and I mean, those who can do and those who can't teach. And it's just the opposite. Those of us who teach do so because we could do anything else. I can't tell you the things I'm told you would be, you should have gone, I get tired of denying law school applications. I've even been asked, come and go to law school. So we know we can do anything else, but this is a calling. And to that, there is the moral and ethical imperative because it's not Toyota. We're not putting out cars or parts as an inline so that if something goes wrong, you recall it, you fix it, you put it back out and it's good as new. We have lives in our hand and where they end up, we are going to have a responsibility ability. And I will just say this as a believer, and I'm not proselytizing here, but I'm going to answer to a much higher power than my principal, the superintendent, the district leadership. I'm going to have to answer to God for the lives that came in front of me. So it's not that I don't care about adults, but we've been given the opportunities and we had the chance to make whatever of them. We owe it to the children that we encounter, whether we're teaching them directly, coaching their teachers, their school leaders to help create those entry and access points for all of them. Equity is not an add on. It's a fundamental responsibility of the educator to ensure those opportunities no matter what. And I'm gonna be quiet. Thank you.
0: Thank you so much. That was a really wonderful insight always. We really appreciate your voice and everything that
2: you have to share in that. That was great, Tiffany. That was great. I'm glad you brought up Toyota too, because I feel like it touches upon something that's kind of coming around in education and um I don't know how to feel about this because I'm going to push back against it. Um, The five whys. So if if anybody has heard of the process of the five whys as far as problem solving, it's the idea that you find an issue um, by asking why and and you don't blame a person. You don't bring a person. You blame a a process or a, a, a technical component. And it comes from Toyota, from the engineering on the assembly line. So, for example, if a mechanism on the assembly line isn't slow, so like, you ask the engineer, so why is this slowing down? Well, it's because we're not able to get, um, the, the, the conveyor belt moving along as quickly. Well, why can't we get the conveyor belt moving along as quickly? Well, because, um, every now and then we have to slow it down to repair the, um, lubricant on the, the ball bearing. So why do we have to repair the lubricant on the ball bearing? So because it's starting to dry out when this happens, well, why is it starting to dry? So by the time you ask five of those why questions on the process, You've addressed something that you can take action on. That's actually pretty small, but will have a bigger impact. And that's picked up some steam as far as um, organizational processing. And it's starting to come into education. And I push back against it because in education, it's not always a mechanism. It's not always a system. It's not always an organizational structure it is the relationship, it is the personal struggle. It is something challenging that we don't always have the tools to be able to address. Um, And I feel like if we try to strip that away, and I know that everybody always talks about the importance of relationships, but do we do so out of kind of buzziness, just like we have with growth mindset or grace? um or do we do so because we recognize from a purely professional standpoint that it is the mechanism that allows progress to to move forward so i am really gra- glad that you brought that up tiffany
7: absolutely and and just to that point if we're going to spend our spin our wheels asking why about processes who is who's in control of the processes so now we're saying the ball bearings are greater than the person who created them, that the that the conveyor belt knows more than we do. So now we're elevating the thing over who we are and what our responsibility is. And at some point that's stripping away accountability and responsibility. So when the process is that the ball bearing snaps and the axle breaks in the middle of highway traffic, then who becomes responsible for that person's life being lost? So we've removed that. And I know I'm going way off on a tangent, but I'm more of a conspiracy realist than a theorist. It just is what it is.
0: Awesome points. Love it all. Good, good, good thoughts. I really appreciate like that. And I, that brings us really beautifully to our next question actually. Um, Magira talks about this idea of divergent thinking and how, you know, surrounding ourselves with divergent thinkers, maybe those that don't align a hundred percent with our perspective is always like kind of a good thing, right? Because it pushes us and, and asks us to question um, not necessarily in an effort to change our perspective or our journey, but but it makes us think about things. So. Um, how, how do you guys feel about this? what What is the value of surrounding yourself in your opinion, with divergent thinkers? And, like from my perspective, I know that some of my educators struggle with that, right? Because sometimes hearing a different truth is challenging. So how do we how do we encourage them to understand the power in and the value in divergent thinking?
1: I
5: often think about it, um, I think that the word divergent makes you think that it is like oppositional. And I don't, I don't think of it that way. Um, And so I, I think that a different perspective does not mean that they are in opposition of one another. It might be through a different lens. It might be that they are coming at it from a different perspective. But I think if our objectives are similar, if similar to what Tiffany was saying. If at the heart of it, our goal is on supporting students, supporting staff, then we're coming from the same place, right? Like our intentions, our mission is the same. How we get there might be different. The way that we think about going about it might be different. And perhaps I can learn something from those ideas, right? That um, I already know what I have to say, which is often why I I prefer to wait to speak, right? i already know my perspective so it would help me it would behoove me it would only help me grow if i can listen to as many people as possible to inform decisions that i'm going to make because my decisions impact other people they impact staff they then impact students they impact district office personnel right like they will impact others so if i am not um able to actually open myself up to understanding and learning from their perspectives then i am making decisions that are uninformed um and it and i also think that it it serves me better i often i use the term thought partners that is how i work i work with having and bringing in thought partners on pretty much everything that i do and every decision that i make um and I am. I think I am better for it. I know that they help me. Um, they help me question myself when there are things that I cannot always see. Um, and and I need that other perspective. I need those other voices because otherwise, I'm only making decisions with myself in mind, and that isn't fair. If I am a person that speaks for more than me when decisions are supposed
2: to be made.
0: Absolutely. I love that, and I think that that's really a, a bright point, Devin, you have something to add?
2: i I'm absolutely gonna add to that uh, and throw this idea out there as far as like who I listen to the most. um as much as you know I listen to you know a, a diverse array, and I try to follow um educators from around the world. I want to have a global perspective so I can you know think globally and act locally. But as far as things that I bring to my teachers, the ones I listen to the most are my newest teachers and I know that teacher ed programs always are getting hammered hard as far as, you know, what they're preparing teachers to do. But a lot of times I see new teachers doing wonderful things and it's because they're coming from those programs. And if these are wonderful things that they're doing right now, those are the things that I need my more veteran teachers to see, because a lot of times they are not the most like technologically proficient um educators they're teachers that are just finding best practices that work with students they're able to make those connections and whether it's because of its uh, general proximity to students it, it's something that works and a lot of times it's funny to hear with those veterans oh it's just because they like them more well yeah so let's find out why and if it's something that you can replicate or at least kind of info infilt- you know bring into your practices then why is that necessarily such a bad thing and it's a way for newer teachers to feel like they're doing something right because a lot of times those newer teachers are the ones that are most on the cusp of leaving the profession altogether and yeah a lot of energy is focused on support and uh, compliance and um, a lot of these in-service programs but really Let's let these newer teachers feel like they can be leaders in our field so we don't lose them. And so their voices are the ones I try to seek out more than anybody else because they're going to have the greatest opportunity to diffuse upwards towards our more veterans so they can feel like they're constantly on the cusp of practices that have meaningful impact instead of something that the district just imposes on everybody. I think newer voices.
0: I think that's great. I think that's awesome. And I think that that, you know, I think that this space is a great space for coaches, right? Because there are so many different perspectives Um, and we can learn from each other. I've learned so much over the course of this book study and in the chat and, um, you know, different perspectives are are really important for growth. Um, Any other thoughts on this idea? We're winding down kind of to the end of the hour and want to be mindful of time okay so um i'm gonna go ahead and skip down to question five uh real quick we'll, we'll kind of touch on this and then we'll wrap it up uh so she had in ch- uh chapter 15 which was our final chapter uh, mind you if you have not read uh chapter 14 i encourage you to do so because it's all about like um, this idea of a play date and a three-date rule, really giving uh, teachers a space to um, interact with the tech that, that you know you guys are collaboratively kind of coming up with as a solution for lesson planning. Um, and it's just it's really rich the way that, that she lays it out and like kind of that process. But uh in chapter 15, our final chapter, um it's 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 the culminating kind of chapter of her of her book that's like all about okay, what's next? Now that we started our journey. And we move through this process, ultimately, like, we need to start planning our next adventure. And she lays out these different kind of tips and tricks um, to kind of get us moving to our next adventure, teachers and coaches alike. And uh, ideas like be your own hero. Don't get comfortable. Channel your inner student. Share your crazy pills, um, which I thought was funny. but I was wondering for those of you that did read, read um, you know, which, which of these sections or, or those of you that didn't, um, which, which of those, those headers really like resonate with you? Uh, how will we be mindful as we strive to be our own hero? Um, what steps will we carry out to ensure that we don't get comfortable in this process or too comfortable rather? How will you model joy? Uh, and she talks about channeling your inner student to do so. And then finally, do you plan to share your crazy pills? Like ultimately all this insight that we've learned, how are we going to share it with the world and really enhance the lives of others? Sharon says she loves the crazy pill idea. (laughs) You wanna elaborate on that for us, Sharon? Well, I just, um, I think I'd
4: written down that um, the two that really struck me was don't get comfortable. and also the um, idea of um, um, constantly keeping it fun, those kind of ideas. But but just the idea that yeah, we are kind of crazy. We're I'm sitting here on a Veterans Day, and you know could be doing a lot of other things. But really, um, this is bringing me joy to be with you guys and to hear more and to learn from everybody. So the the learning is is so good on here. Um, I will say that I've. you know, I've been teaching for a long time and been a tech coordinator for 25 years, which is a long time in this business. And, um, and so if you don't just keep pushing yourself to get out of your comfort zone, um, and to, you know, be uncomfortable, um, and go, you know, I don't really, I can't do that. And then it's like, wait, the minute I say that I need to, um, to go for it. Um, Brene Brown's, um, you know, leadership books and um, some of those kind of ideas about um, about being uncomfortable and being vulnerable has just been um, something that has come across my plate the last couple of years, and um, and that's kind of where you know instead of winding down, I'm just winding up. I think so. <laughs>
0: we're going from there. Awesome. Thank you for that share. Would anybody else like to? add into this? Give some good insight to the final recording of Courageous Adventures?
1: i (laughs) share it. No, I put in, Sharon, I completely agree with you, but uh, I I stuck more with the don't get too comfortable because I think that for me has just always been where I've been at. I mean, I've taught in four different states and I clearly have not gotten too comfortable anywhere because I keep moving. Um, but I do like how it mentions, like, you do actually need to take a moment to celebrate where you've gone, like celebrate those successes, but don't let that be the end of your journey. Keep going and keep growing. And like, what did you take from this? And how are you going to push yourself forward? Um, I had a professor in, uh, my grad program who she would always say, once you feel comfortable and once you start feeling bored, like you need to move on whether your position is teacher, uh, principal, superintendent, if you start feeling comfortable and you feel like I did it, I got where I needed to go, then that's your time to move on. You need to find something new because you've either lost your passion or you're no longer showing that growth mindset.
2: I think there's a fine balance between being comfortable and being bored. I think when you're bored, that's when you ask what now? When you're comfortable, it's okay to ask what's next. But you can still have that lens about what's next being down the line so you can take a chance to appreciate and commit to seeing that development and long-term growth. It's okay to continue to develop your practices and, 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 and grow as long as it's not to the detriment of everything else going around right now. And it's, you know, I I think it's one of those things that we have to be careful with, with this mindset of never be comfortable. If you are never going to be comfortable, then what is all this for? You know, you have to understand that there's a point where I'm doing something good and it's okay to enjoy doing something well as long as we leverage that into allowing others to do something well, before we leave it behind. So find that balance and make sure that you recognize more than anything else that you are good enough and it's okay to be good enough.
0: Absolutely. That's a really good uh, reminder. I think you're absolutely right. Um, I, One last piece. I just really want to touch on this idea of like finding joy, like channeling your inner student, because I think right now, a lot of us, wherever we are across the world, there's a lot of pressure on educators and coaches. Um, And sometimes I think we, you know, with such limited time or such the constraints and limitations that exist because of COVID teaching, um, we forget that we need to have fun that like, it can't always be grind, 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 um, because really, truly, like our students are the ones that are going to suffer in that regard. Um, And if as a coach, we're constantly pushing, 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 um, and aren't, aren't, you know, consciously making moments of, of, you know, joy, uh, creating moments of joy, um, then, you know, I think that that, That is we're doing a disservice. We're doing a disservice to ourselves, uh, to our educators that we're coaching and ultimately to the students that they're going to continue to impact. Um, And so, yeah, I agree. Uh, Jared has posted that this group brings him joy. Hashtag inspiring. And I agree with you, Melissa. Uh, You know, same. (laughs) I feel that way, too. And I'm really grateful that we have this time together uh, and that we were able to share. And um, I think it's really rich when we can come together and, and enjoy each other's company. Um, before we kind of round it out, are there any last uh, words for the good of the order before we close?
1: Thank you, Shannon, I want to thank you and Georgina, I know you're going to be watching later, both of you for putting together the slide decks, the questions for moderating. Um, that's a lot of work that that you both took on to make this book study happen so a huge shout out to both of you for uh, for keeping the excitement going for for keeping this going and um, Supporting us all along the way of reading courageous adventures. So
0: Well, thanks. Yeah, it's been a lot of fun. I've I, I mean Yes, it's a lot of work, but, you know, it's there's so much growth that comes out of it. And it's like one of the, you know, being stuck at home <laughs> and teaching virtually. It's it's a good, bright spot to be able to share these insights with the world and really engage with you guys. So it's been a lot of fun.
4: I've, I've been able to take this model and use it with another group that I'm working with. And so it's been awesome. And they were very receptive of it. So that's the kind of stuff I want to see that my teachers are able to do. So just wanted to um, share that on with you guys that this is um this is impacting more than just the small group. It, it, you know, we bring it out and we keep pushing it forward, and um, it can impact a lot of people. So, thank you so much. I really have enjoyed being able to reflect on the questions. If I have time to go back and do it, but then also take this time to chat. So, really nice to see
0: everybody. Absolutely, and for those of you watching, and those of you that are with us now, you know, if. You know, something in your soul is like pushing you to say, "I maybe want to lead the next courageous adventure round." For all of our coaches that didn't get a chance to join this book study, reach out to Becky or myself or Georgina so that we can uh, get you equipped with the slide deck so that you can be the one leading leading the conversation next time. Because I think that now that we've done this together, let's go ahead and 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 you know share that with with everybody else. So um, let us know. Let us know. We would love to. We would love to bring you along on that journey. Um, well, with that being said, I want to go ahead and close out. I want to be mindful of time. Uh, Thank you guys so much for this experience, for this, uh, for today, for the insight that was shared. Um, you know, if you're watching on the recording, spread it forward and, uh, let's go ahead and keep the conversation going. And I appreciate all of you and hope you have a good day.
2: Enjoy everybody. Take care.